Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Real people doing real deals in real estate and no fake gurus allowed. We bring you the best and the most real real estate investors in the space. They'll be showing you the good, the bad, and the ugly of real estate investing. Like, share, subscribe, get notified. It's the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today, we have someone that came all the way from Pereira, Colombia, Mr. Scott Morris, man. Thank you so much for coming in today, brother. Thank you, Ricardo. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, man. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure always to hang out with you. Uh, you've only been in our space for a couple of years, but you are a freaking beast, brother. And I want our audience to, to get to know you more at a personal level, right? So... Who is Scott Morris? Like, where where were you born, dude? Where do you grow up? So I was born in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Okay. So born in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, born to parents who were about as average middle class as you can be. Uh, father didn't graduate high school. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so I uh, just grew up in a very uh, typical, standard, lower middle class uh, family there in Virginia. But my dad was always in, like, Amway as a kid. And so he was always in all these different multi-level marketing. So, but my entire life, I've always been surrounded by a sales environment. Sales. Yes. Wow. I can understand now. Yeah. The MLM world is, uh, is rich in education. Yeah. Rich in education and mindset too. Mindset. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, uh, talk down on MLM for many different reasons, right? right. But I find that whoever is successful at MLM is successful at, Yes. Anything. Yes. Like, it's just a tool, you know. Like, if you can be in this company today, you move to the next one, and poof, you just grow up like crazy. And I've been in MLM all my life pretty much, too. Wow. So I've, I've built huge downlines the whole nine yards. So uh, right now I'm not actively b building anything because right. I just I'm doing something else. But um, MLM is something that a lot of people talk down. They, they, they think it's like one of them pyramid things, you know, like, and but man it's literally it's a place where anybody can make it as long as they yep. have the education the hustle. drive hustle yep persistence and they're not afraid of failing and moving forward right yeah so so your dad was around um you said amway right yeah big Am in amway amway so uh, is your dad still around or yeah i'm blessed enough to have him still around and he's still in in amway they're not in amway anymore but he went into professional sales himself ultimately he was a roofer for 20 some years and okay. so uh just watching that and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to get into more sales centered right because i didn't have a college degree but i just knew that with my ability to speak and i loved the english language and i just i was a big reader a voracious reader as a kid but he would take me to the job site and he would give me that uh, magnet and I would just have to walk around the yard picking up nails or carry bundles of shingles up to the roof. And he just did that enough times for me to realize that working with my hands and being what he was, he would train me not to be like him. You know, when I grew up, it really made a lot of positive impacts on uh, what I wanted to do in my professional pursuits, which wasn't manual labor. Well, and, and um, so you went to high school in Richmond? I did, yeah. And then what happened after you graduated? Uh, so I didn't go to college. I applied for one college. I was turned down. I had applied to a college that had recently had always been its entire life, all female college. 
And so they had just converted to allow in a certain amount of male population in there. So I kind of pursued that college for other reasons. I, I can understand yeah. why. <laughs> and so they looked at my resume or, or my uh, background. They said, nope, not at all. But I made a very conscious decision, very conscious decision to self-educate myself. And so I have a, a huge library now. But even at that age, I knew that I could learn on my own more than what any professor was going to teach me. And so I just went into a 20-year self and betterment journey all by books because I'm a real big believer of you are the closest, the average of your closest five friends, right? right? But I didn't have five friends that I wanted to be the average of. So I sought them out in books, particularly everything by Zig Ziglar. Mm. Nothing that Zig Ziglar's ever read that I haven't read. And I love that guy. I wish he was still life. alive. I wish he was still alive. Yeah, I saw him the year before he passed and I've seen him multiple times, part of his speaking. I, I literally considered him a father figure in my life between him and Tony Robbins and then all the rest of the sales, big sales guys out there. I just loved it the way that they showed me that I could be like them, just be an average guy who could make go out there and get whatever I put out there. And so it just it changed my life because I found in mentors and books that I couldn't find in real life. Wow. So how do you develop the habit of reading, man? Uh so for me, I think one of the things is I like to interact with the pages. And so I'm not a digital book reader, but I am a, every morning I read and I'm big on highlighters and pens. So you'll never catch me with the book without highlighters. Yeah, I do pens. the same thing. And so when I finish a book or sometimes when I'm between books, I'll just grab books that I've already done and have a little red sticker on them to let me know when I look at the library, which ones I've completed. And I'll just go through and I'll read all the highlights again. Uh, I have a, another digital program where I've also gone through all my books and taken everything I've ever highlighted and put it down into one long sheet. And so it's just like those nuggets that made enough of an impression for me to move that marker across the page are things that mean something to me personally. Right. And I like to share those nuggets with other people as well, too. But, yeah, it's just I try to interact with the books. And I also find books that I know that at the end of that book, I'll be better than I was at the beginning of that book. Right. So, you know, what was the book or the one book that you say everybody should read? Uh, so there's a, there's a one particular book. Um, it's millionaire mindset. Uh, there's, uh, and maybe I can put it in the notes, post this, but there's a couple of books that have really helped change a lot of my philosophies on life. So the one, the millionaire mindset is big. And then also a recent one that people may be more familiar with is David Goggins can't hurt me. Oh yeah. That what a tremendous book that was. And that yeah. is, um, but I'm big on John Maxwell too. Mm -hmm. John Maxwell was a big major player in my life. And so my library is so big now of books that it's not necessarily one, it's the collection of all and that collection of all. So the millionaire mindset, who, who wrote that one or, or, or was it called secrets of the millionaire mind or. I, I should have been prepared for this. I, I, it's I so good. I just put you on the spot on that one book because I have secrets of the millionaire mind by T Harv Ecker. And that book actually right. makes you like do some, affirmations and certain like you have to put your your finger in your forehead and look up and say something like money's like comes to me yeah. effortlessly things like that right I, i'm big on books that require you to work while you're reading them yes and writing out because what's so great at the front page the first page of every book that i ever read the day if i start a new book today i'll write exactly today's date and what's going on in my life today exactly where i'm at and as, as kind of unique as it may sound or different as it sounds i know one day when i pass i'll leave those books to my kids and they're going to be able to see Papa's life and where he was struggling with what was going on. Because I'm very, very candid. I hope nobody, I don't write in with the intent of anybody to ever read them while I'm alive. Right. But one day when I pass, I want the kids to be able to see the struggles that I was going through. And then when I go back and read them, I get to see how much my life's improved since. Right. Now. 
And so I'm big at time stamping every book that I read. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. That's something I don't do. I, I, I highlight it. Sure. I write a lot of notes, but I don't time stamp it. And, yeah. and that's something that I'm going to take from, from, from these interviews that I'm going to start putting dates and because and, it's, it's good to always go back and say, hmm, I remember that, you know, that time when I was yeah. reading this book, it was like May 27th, blah, 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 you know, and this is what was going on in my life, right? So, all right, so you started self-educating yourself. Yes, sir. And, like, you go get a job. Like, what Like what was the deal? Like, you yeah. were 19, 18? Yeah, so I was uh, 18 when I started working for my brother's security alarm company. He had one in a place called Williamsburg, Virginia. And then the, it's like in the movie Boiler Room, they say it was that one knock that changed it, all, changed it all. For me, it was the one site visit that changed it all. I went to a, a fancy office. And I walked to see all these BMWs, Mercedes, all these things outside in Williamsburg, Virginia. So it's nice cars out here. And I walked inside and I walked into like a pit. And I didn't know what a sales pit was, but that's what it was, just filled with sales agents waiting to go out. And so I'm describing how to use the alarm and I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to do at this job. And so I was 20 at that time. And uh, I finally pulled one of the guys aside. I was like, what are you guys doing? Because these kids were my age. They're a little bit older, maybe even a little bit younger, dressed so nice, driving these fancy cars. And they were like, we sell timeshare. I was like, what's timeshare? They're like, oh, buddy, you got to know. And so literally that week I left my family's company and I got a job selling timeshare. Wow. And I had some tremendous mentors there. But you want to talk about sales. I mean, I learned some of the most aggressive I'm going to use the word cutthroat, but the most aggressive sales tactics, uh, you know, human psychology I learned. And so for two years, about a, almost two years, I sold timeshare. And then I was recruited out of that into another vertical comparable. But that's really where I laid my foundation of my sales wherewithal is from that timeshare vertical, that vacation sales vertical, because you're selling air, you're selling off of emotions. It's a high ticket sales, fifteen to $35,000. And to be 20 years old and make those types of dollars, I was like, oh, so this is exactly where I want to be. I want to be in sales for as long as I can be in sales. And I, what was the progression through that? Because you were there until not long ago, right? Yeah, it was. So I was in the timeshare sales, which is where you do the acquisition side. And then I got into the vacation ownership side. And so it's kind of a, a similar model as timeshare, but it's where you like travel the country and you like drop postcards or send text messages, send phone calls, you invite people to a hotel and you're selling them a software package that gives them access to all kinds of different vacation plans, et cetera, et cetera. So I did that for another man for about six or seven years. Um, and then I kept on having all these clients that would come in and say, hey, we'd buy your ex if you'd help us get out of this timeshare that we have. And I was like, oh, I think this is a business model itself, which is helping people get rid of their timeshare ownership. And so I ended up starting one of the nation's largest timeshare exit companies. Um, and that grew up to about 160 employees, uh, north of $30 million a year in gross revenue that we did out of that. And how, how old were you when you started that company? So I worked for the gentleman in between for eight years. So I worked for him for eight years. So I would have been 31 when I started the timeshare exit company. And okay. I started it literally out of the spare bedroom in my house, started it uh, as, as rough as you can. Just rough as you can, start it from there, and ended up, like I said, over, you know, 160 some employees before. Were, we were you, um, were you still in Virginia, or you have no, moved? At somewhere? this time, I was in Florida. Florida, you were already yeah. in Florida. Okay, yeah. and did you have a partner, or was it only you? Like how, how, how did all that all come about? Yeah. So, what I discovered is the same thing I discovered with Lamas, who leads my current company now, which is people need more qualified leads. 
And so right. what I did is I focused in on my vertical of being like a lead broker on revenue share. And I'm a big revenue share proponent. So for people out there who don't know what revenue share is, it's simply like, hey, I'm going to perform this action in whatever part of the sales funnel, and then I'll take a piece of the back end. Mm -hmm. So that's effectively what I did. I just knew that I could generate... I feel like I got uh, maybe an innate ability that other people don't have of being able to put myself in the consumer's shoes, whether it's putting myself in their shoes when they hear a radio a commercial or see something on TV or even go into a website. Because if I write an ad the way that I want to write it, that's not good. But if I write an ad the way the customer wants to see it, then that's obviously that's going to generate it more. And so uh, our last year, we spent $4.5 million. In 2018, we spent $4.5 million just in PPC ads in a year. And so like for us, we were doing volume. I know there's bigger companies, et cetera, out there, but... That's a lot of money that we were doing to generate leads, but we weren't just generating leads. We were generating very low funnel leads, the lowest of funnel leads, people who are about to make a conversion. And it's those practices that I learned over the past really 20 years that are brought into your guys' vertical that it's allowed me to kind of do what I've done in the past two years. Got it. So, so you, roughly when, what year is it when you started that company? Uh, 2011. 2011. So from 2011 to 2018 yeah. is when you were on that... On the exit program. On the on the exit program, right? And from 2011 to 2018, you grew from you in your bedroom, yep. right? All the way to, I'm going to assume, is you on a floor with 168 people, correct? Yeah. Or, or a whole building. I don't, I, it was I, a whole first floor. Of the building. It was a whole first floor. Um, and... Uh, when is it that you pivoted? Like, because you started by yourself. Yeah. How long do you stay for by yourself until you included a body? Sure. Okay. Like maybe an assistant or whatever, or somebody, so somebody didn't doing a job you didn't want to do. Uh, like how was that progression to 168 people yeah. in a, in a time span of eight years? Yeah. So what it happened is first is when you have really good leads, you want to make sure they go into really good hands. And so what I was doing is essentially doing rev share with multiple people out there until I found the best horse in the stable. And then I wanted to foster that relationship with that group and that sales team and those individuals. And that's where that revenue share relationship can really take off. Because once you have consistency and lead flow, which I had, then I wanted consistency and conversions, which they had. And so then it's just a perfect marriage where everybody's mutually happy for what's going on because it's like, man, you can produce the leads. I'll do this. We'll handle the fulfillment over here. And that's really how I think this industry is broken down to as well. It's like generating the leads, closing the leads, fulfilling the promises. And so it was maybe year two where I finally found the absolute right horse in the stable. It's a tremendous group of individuals. And we started to form accelerate, I should say that revenue share partnership. And, you know, we shared in a lot of the, um, operational thoughts. And so it was just birds of a feather thought together was a really good fit. And we were right. able to grow and expand because the hardest part about, I think any industry is finding people whose hunger meets yours, because if you're the hungriest one, then it's going to create a disconnect. There's always going to be some type of envy. I'm working too hard. And when you can find people who challenge you, when you think that you're the best worker that's out there, like I'll grind out, I'll make it happen. And then somebody else can run game with you or sometimes challenge you where you're like, and so I've been blessed enough both in your industry now and my previous industry to really be able to kind of foster and find, wait out until I find those and then throw the accelerant on it and be able to continue on the revenue share side. Good. So why did you exit the, 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 uh, such a profitable career? Really wasn't by choice. Okay. So ultimately we partnered uh, and we were selling leads to attorneys and other different brokerages out there as a revenue share. And there just became a lot of regulatory pressure out there and the regulatory pressure. I remember one time uh, 
and you can't call it a bribe because they call it a, a campaign contribution. I remember one time in Miami, this would have been like end of 2017, early 18, sitting at this big, huge round table in Miami, and we'd flown in a politician from somewhere upstate and uh, wherever the, the house is held in the state of Florida and flown in because there was a bill trying to be passed to prevent like guys like us from being in the industry, and we were going up against lobbyist groups, and it, it had just gotten so big that we were on the radar, if you will, of lobbyist groups. And it was just one of those things where like, we're sitting at the table, and I'll never forget the day that we handed this pop. We didn't know how do you give a guy. So we handed him a check for $50,000 and cause you had to pay him like before you sat down or before you started eating or whatever, at least that's what we assumed. We handed it to him. He like never touches money. So he hands it to this other girl. And then I remember sitting at that table. I'm just like, what am I, this kid from Richmond, Virginia doing sitting here paying a politician $50,000 to talk about my business interests. And so it really started. I could appreciate growing a business big, but once we started uh, accepting offers from essentially Wall Street private equity groups to come in and buy out the company, that really took it to a level I didn't know. Um, and it, it just became between that and regulatory pressures. It was like, you know what? Hey, listen, this is ran its journey and let's bow out gracefully and move on to other because we made a, a healthy amount of money, obviously, over the years. And then I was looking for a new venture. And then ultimately somebody ended up introducing me into your guys vertical. What do you think was your revenue throughout all those years, um, collectively? A lot. Um, I, sh I would guess the total gross revenue would have been somewhere around eighty million. Eighty million. Yeah. And in a, in a matter of eight years, so it's about ten million a yeah. year. Yeah. Our ticket sales were high. Uh, you know, we had a LOI our last year. Uh, the LOI to purchase for us was fifty-two million for not even the complete company. So we had assigned LOI, we'd gone through all the diligence phases, and then again, just so much regulatory pressure came in and ended up sinking the deal. But to be able to sell not even your whole company and walk away with 52, I mean, I had literally already picked out the plane. Like I knew exactly what I was buying, where it was going, everything. I just bought a $3 million house in Orlando, Florida. Um, and so like we, what I was able to witness is an insane amount of work ethic in a highly disruptable industry really can give you everything that you want. That's why I love about your guy's space because I think it's also highly disruptable. It is, um, and it's there's um, there are numbers here that 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 can be achievable uh, as long as you are willing to do what you're doing right. uh, and what a lot of us are doing. Like we're all doing different things in different levels, but um, I've seen you do like you move to Colombia, you build out a call center, and we'll we'll get into that in a minute, but. Like I was telling you last night at dinner, like, man, you're willing to do what other people are not willing to do, um, uh, which is like really step out away from your comfort zone and say, you know what? If I've done this in the past, that's going to be a piece of cake now because I'm going to yeah. go. You see it as a, as a challenge and something that's probably easier to build as opposed to building it here, which is what most people want to do, right? Like being in a first world country or whatnot. Uh, but so you exited that company. Yep. How in the hell did you stumble into this vertical, how, as you call it? So uh, I had uh, a dear friend of mine who's an, just an amazing individual. His name's Alex Cazada. But throughout the years, he would come to me and ask me if I wanted to invest in a mobile home park or if I wanted to invest in these types of properties. And I was constantly being his hard money lender. But I didn't understand why. And he had expressed to me interest about me possibly doing something for him. And it, it just never rang, rang true. And he used to always say, like, man, if you'll just take this product and put it into your ecosystem, you will rock it. 
because it really is. It's just an ecosystem. I, I have, with all due respect to your guys' industry, have no loyalty to it. And the only thing that I mean by that, not in a negative way, but I'm an insert product here type of guy. If tomorrow some crypto training thing comes up and I can vet it out or whatever it is and insurance, I have no qualms or issues with pivoting because it's really. It's, I, I'm I, the I same. I'm it. the same way, by the way. Like, I, like to me, yeah. that's just the horse that I'm riding right now. Like exactly we were talking right. about last night when I had that other scheme going yeah, on yeah, a few yeah. years ago, right? <laughs> so I'm in the same airplane. I mean, I'm like, dude. Now this is reels. is is attached to real estate, which is it's it's the vehicle that made ninety percent of the right. rich people on earth rich, right? So it makes sense. But yeah, if you can insert that 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 same philosophy into okay oh we can do that you know education or we can do crypto or we can Annuities. do this or, yeah done right yeah so 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 he's the one that introduced you into he did uh but once finally that had retired and i was kind of like man i wonder what vertical i'll go into next he was just like stop just stop come into my office check this out let me show you what i'm doing um, and he was doing really well by industry standards his first year, or excuse me, his last year before uh, I worked out a revenue share partnership with him as well, too, because it's all about the leads. For me, everything, it's the alpha, right? There's, the closers are the omega, the leads are the alpha. And so it's the beginning and end. And so what I saw were a lot of pain points. And after having a company that big, I, it was just, I think, easier to identify the pain points. And you have a lot of these smaller entrepreneurs who are doing everything in their business. They're literally staying up to 2 a.m. trying to pull a list. They're trying to skip trace lists. They're poor with list management. They don't do any lead life cycle management. Then they're trying to qualify leads. And so then they're on the phones trying to front and then they're not able to close. And it's like they only reserve for themselves 10 to 15% of their day to actually do revenue producing activities. And they don't even see it because they think everything's a revenue producing activity, but it's not what they need to be. What I need to be able to get their mindsets to pivot to is like, Hey, listen, defer, find a trusted partner, whether it's me or somebody else to handle the whole front end of your operation where you guys are only focused on two things that's closing and funding. Mm -hmm. And so once I was able to give them and any of my other revenue share partners, that stability, it's like, oh, now we can focus on what we do best because they've been in the industry long enough. They've been closing deals, but most people aren't the best at data analytics. They're not the best at platform management. They don't have any type of technology stack. And so that's really, I was just like, oh. And then I realized that him at 88 deals his last year and the subsequent year he did 570. So he went from 88 the year before I met him or partnered, if you will, from the revenue share perspective to over 500. Like that's a monster leap. Yeah. Like it's, it's that, a big that's, leap. It's, it's, it's that's what 500, 700% almost growth. But it really didn't take much other than getting them out of their own way because they're excellent closers. And that's really what, that, that's what you need. If you have an excellent closer and you can find a trusted partner to handle that front end of your operation, it's well worth whatever the percentage share is or whatever the, even if you just outsource it to VAs or whoever you do it to. But it's just a matter of getting these guys focused because if not, they end up, you're losing morale, you're losing all these things because you're just not generating enough revenue. So, so, so dude, this is crazy because I, you call them revenue share partners, right? I call them JV partners because that's the standard terminology that we use yes. in, in, in wholesaling, right? But we have very similar businesses. Yes. It's just that you call it one thing, I call it another thing. But as you speak and you're kind of like telling me your business model, I was like, oh, so... You see, and we were just talking earlier about somebody not wanting to do JV deals. Yeah. He's kind of like turning down your model and my model. Exactly. Right? Which to me is like, guy, I can make money on somebody else's marketing, yeah. you know, plan, right? And the marketing guy is happy because he doesn't have to do 
what you and I are doing, which is exactly. negotiating the deal, selling the deal. Well, we sell the deal. Right. I don't know if you're selling the deal for those guys, but we are, right? Because right? we, we, we take the whole, like, like the whole thing. But um, so, so you learn – you learned the business model that uh, Anthony, right, had. Yeah, Anthony and Alex. Uh, Anthony and Alex. Well, you, you learned their business model. When is it that you made a decision and said, okay, I'm going to take this business model, I'm going to move to Colombia, yep. and I'm going to go and get me a building and go ahead and boom, yep. hire 100 people and go. So, right, the force starts with one tree. And so that wasn't the initial objective. The initial objective was, okay, everybody's outsourcing their lead flow to the Philippines or to Egypt or some guy in Costa Rica or wherever it may be. Let me test the waters because if everybody's doing it, it must be good. And then once I even put my toe in this water, I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this industry is addicted to underqualified leads, barely qualified leads. I call them heartbeat in a home leads. It's like, wait a minute, a heartbeat in a home. Yes, they have a heartbeat. Yes, they have a home. Send it over. Stop it. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't find anybody, and I mean anybody, I, not, not to disparage any of the big names out there, but I filled out forms. I talked to. I listened to calls. I signed up with. And I was like, oh, this isn't outsourceable to maintain the integrity of lead quality that I need. So I'm going to have to do it myself. And so once you look at the cost per lead objective, which you have to keep mitigated as low as possible, for me, it wasn't possible to do it onshore. You know, paying a 19-year-old kid uh, $17 an hour in South Florida who's got alcohol problems or drug problems, uh, they've flunked out of everything that's going no on. Sense. You can't. Your, your cost per lead is never going to be where you need it to be for this vertical. So I knew I needed to go offshore. Um, and my ex-wife had introduced me pre years previously to Columbia, and I loved their affinity for the American culture. I met so many people that spoke super fluent or grew up in the States and returned home. So ultimately, I made that decision really just to go launch with one revenue share partner down there. And, you know, buzz is a funny thing. And virality is a funny thing because all of a sudden this guy's friend heard about it, and this guy's friend hears about it, and then this guy's friend hears about it. And before you know it, you're, you know, you're at 70-some clients in a month and growing consistently um, who all have the same problem. They all have the same problem, which is consistent lead flow and quality lead flow because you can't scale inconsistent results. And so what I hear from everybody before they hire us is, yeah, I hired this VA team. They did great week one and week two, but then it died off. Or I hired these guys and we could just never get a consistent lead flow. It'd be really crappy leads, really good leads, really crappy leads, really good leads. And it really should be a very mathematical equation. This amount of money that I'm paying, equals this amount of activity, whether it's dials, which equals this amount of leads. And out of this amount of leads, it must be consistent equals this amount of contracts. And if you can't be, let's say one out of 20 or one out of 15 with your leads or whatever, the marketing channel, maybe, maybe it's one out of 10, if it's whatever. But if you can't find that consistency, you'll never scale. You'll never scale for a long term. That's for sure. And so that's what I tried to do is I said, I know I can generate a quality of lead that is consistent in its deliverables and expectations. So, when was your first wholesale deal? So it was actually when I was sitting in Alex's office because I needed to incubate. I needed to understand everything. Um, and it was a, and what it was also great too is getting on the phones, being in the trenches and having them hear all the different things that I was saying. And I didn't realize how much more accelerated or advanced my pitch was. It was day one, hour one, but it's almost like that Wolf of Wall Street movie where Jordan goes into that, uh, that office where they're selling the penny stocks and he just sits down and he starts saying everything and everybody's like, wow, what Ooh, are you Who the saying? hell is this guy? Yeah, what did he exactly. say? Right. Um, but the very first uh, lady that I closed, which was within the first few days, uh, first few calls too, but within the first few days was a woman who called us panicking because her husband 
was in the was in jail for domestic abuse. And she's like, hey, this guy is in jail. I have to sell this house now. I have to be out this of this house. This is my moment. I have to get out and get out of town now before he comes out and he does it again. He'd done it multiple times. And I was like, oh, we're not just buying ugly houses. We're buying ugly situations. Yep. And it really humanized it for me because really before I was like, oh, this is commodities trading. Wait a minute. I get a contract at this price. I sell it at this price. I was very, very black on white on my thoughts on this industry. I was like, I'm literally selling paper. Boom. Love it. It's infinitely scalable. It felt like, but I didn't see the human aspect. And I'm glad I saw it so, so much in the beginning because it allowed me to know my client's avatar better. But that first deal, and we helped her with a U-Haul truck. We ended up taking it as a subject too. We ended up making a lot of money from that deal. But I was like, okay, now I get it. Uh, now I get it. I understand that it's either ugly home or ugly situation. But either which way, we're going to be the savior helping these people move on with their life. Because if not, she could have very well been in that exact same situation again where she's in the hospital and he's in jail. She's in the hospital, he's in jail. Or she's dead. Or she's dead. Amen. Right. So having, and she did a beautiful video testimonial for us as well too. And so it was just, it, it really, it really sunk in like, because you can get everything you want out of life if you help enough people get what they want. Yep. Zig Ziglar. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so I love verticals where I can help a lot of people and I can get everything I want, which is a lot of money. Right. And so being able to know that this vertical is not only helping a lot of people, but it's also highly profitable. Oh, it's, it's lights out. I mean, not only is it disruptible because you got a bunch of cowboys, you got very few entrepreneurs, um, but it's also where the client side, it's like, no, no, we're helping people. I'd say this all the time. If you think my offer is going to be higher next year, you're playing with fire. Like it's never, and this is the truth, it's never been a better time to accept an offer from us than it is today. But I can tell you this much, soon tomorrow will be less. There will be the tomorrow will be less. There will be the tomorrow where it is the correction. There will be the tomorrow. And so knowing that some of these people really do need kind of a kick in their butt to maximize now while they're at the top, I think it's an important thing to be able to drill that into people's heads. And also too, and I know you do coaching, but sometimes people, it's just giving them the confidence in their decisions. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's, it's, we're not doing anything special other than being that voice in their ear that says, you know what? Let's improve my life. Let's change my life. Let's get closer to my grandkids. Let's get this empty house that I'm paying taxes on year after year and stressing out about. Let's just get it off of my books. And I think that's what we do as an industry. So that's, that's great. That's exactly what we solve problems, right? So we're yep. problem solvers. And, and that's what really an entrepreneur is doing is solving a problem. And, and like Zig Ziglar says, the more people you help, the, eventually the, 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 the quicker you get to your goals, right? The more money you make. So, so you went to Colombia. You started putting your team together, yes. right? And, and when was like the first time that you had, I would say, multiple closings in a month? Like to where you said, hmm. Yeah, it's working, and you know what? I need to go ramp this up now because you got now a hundred people on your call center. Yeah, um, and, and I didn't even call it a call center; I call it an operation center because yeah. it, it is an operation center. Yeah. Uh, they're doing everything, acquisitions, you know, the whole nine yards. So yeah. th these are not BAs. You're right. right. You know, you you have your your building set up to where this is a badass operation center. Right. And these are not just regular type VA somewhere in the Philippines just creating some lead right. or no. These guys are real, real, real hustlers. So when was it that you saw how I got, I don't know, 10 closings this month. This is real money. Now I can take these to 100 closings. So fairly quick. So that was a good part. Once we just were up and the lights were on, it was game time. So that part wasn't the aha moment as much as it was the inflection of customers who needed help. So I've never spent a dollar in advertising. Never spent a dollar in advertising of Lamasu Media or Lamasu Leads Call Center Services. 
But just hearing these people's pain points, I know their pain points before I ever get on a Zoom with them. I know that they're hiring a VA. The general progression of customers who come to me is they got off in wholesaling. Maybe they did bandit signs, whatever. They did cold calling. They were like, oh my God, this sucks, but I got a couple of deals. I now want to hire a VA. Then they get a VA and depending on how that experience goes, maybe they get to two, maybe three VAs. And they're like, oh my God, I'm spending more time managing these people and I'm not closing deals. And then it's once they break out of that VA mindset, and some of them don't even know that there's another level above VAs, and that's like an enterprise-level call center. But once people started to hear that there was an option that exists above and beyond VAs, where you actually have a strategic partner in your marketplace, where you actually have somebody doing your lead lifecycle management, your KPI tracking, and only sending over qualified leads, once that buzz got out there, then I was like, oh, no, this is a business that's bigger than wholesaling. Like, this, this, this lead generation is bigger than the actual wholesaling for my own office because there's a, a bigger bandwidth, if you will, of people out there that need that. And it's highly scalable. And it's one of those things that it's very easy to be ROI positive here in this particular vertical, particularly cold calling because your cost of entry is so low comparatively to let's say PPC mm-hmm. and just everybody needs it. And there's a lot of big players out there that have given up on it because they've only had bad experiences. And so bringing them into the fold and having them talk about it. But so yeah, once my Zoom calendar link started filling up without me having to do anything, talk to anybody. I said, okay, yeah, this is a real business. This is going to be, this is going to be big. Yeah. So I, I've been wholesaling for since 2017, right? But I've been a real estate investor since 2008. Mm. Now, I was a wholesaler hater. Like, if you told me you were a wholesaler, I was like, ooh, you're a wholesaler? You know, yeah. ooh, like, get out of here. Like, right? And I became a wholesaler by necessity. So, um, which is something that's happening to my to my VA company uh, right now, or my VA op- I, w- I wouldn't call it a company yet, but it's the VA operation that's grown to thirty VAs. Wow! And yeah, exactly, I just realized that like last month, <laughs> what are these thirty people I'm paying today, yeah. right? So you know, and he's been by, hey, I need a can, Ricardo, can you help me with this? And I was like, yeah, I can source one. Boom, and friends, right? Yeah. Is that how yours started? Like sourcing to to your immediate, like Anthony's and, and Alex's uh, uh, people, right? Because they were plugged in in the network. Yeah, they were plugged in the network. Uh, and I think more the inflection point, obviously them speaking good is great, but was Facebook. And so there's so many of these, whether it's Wholesaling Houses Full Time or all these other groups that are out there, your Facebook group, it doesn't matter. It just takes one person to be like, hey, my cold calling service sucks. Who do you recommend? And then that, that just goes off and off and off. Uh, I want to pivot back if, if you don't mind. So you made the transition from a real estate investor to a wholesaler. Yes. How was that transition for you? Did you struggle pivoting into that? Or no, it good? was it was very fast. Uh, I needed to. So yeah. I don't know if you know this, but in 2017, I was probably arguably one of the biggest rehabbers in Houston. Wow. So I, I was flipping 47 houses at the same time. I had 50 plus workers on the general contracting side. I had another partner Dennis and I had a couple of other partners on the rental side right so we were fully integrated we had a lead generation company which was same as cash that's where we contracted all of our deals uh, prior to same as cash or before same as cash on the funnel we had direct mail out so we did all mailers and then direct mail out will sell letters to other people but it'll do our marketing as well so if you use if you could if you came to my office two years ago I had machines printing stuff all over. Really? I own all the equipment, the whole process. I had a permit with a USPS, the whole nine yards. So I was a mailing company, right? So we mailed out. Same as cash, we'll contract all these properties. We'll negotiate them. 
But then we'll turn around and we'll buy everything. So we we sold ourselves the, the properties. Deals. Yeah. Then any of the entities that we use for buying these properties, we'll go ahead and rehab them, and then we either rent them out or we sold them. Well, in 2017, um, right before Harvey happened, I would say it was about July. It was probably the first time Dennis and I looked at each other and said, man, we got something going on here because we were bringing in some cash. Yeah. And, and it was consistent, right? And now he's looking at a Lambo and, and I'm yeah, looking yeah. at Ferraris and I'm looking at all these other things that are out there, right? Um, and, and But he held me back. He's like, man, let's wait until December. Like, let's finish the, the year strong. And in December, we'll go indulge in, yeah. in whatever you want. And I'll say, perfect, no, no big deal. August... Hurricane Harvey hits, and we have 47 rehabs going around the area. So it wasn't the hurricane that hit us um, or destroyed our properties. It actually flooded five of our rentals, which we fixed within a month. But we lost all of our workforce. So our general contracting company disappeared overnight. And when you have 47 rehabs and you're paying 10% interest in all these loans, and you got $250,000 a month going out on loans only. That right. wasn't even on, on our personal expenses or anything like that. Yeah, you have money in the bank, but sure. guess what? goes fast. It goes. It goes so fast. Right? <laughs> but I, my thinking process at the time was, even if it takes me six months to finish all these properties, because right. I knew there was a disruption. Yeah. I just didn't know how long the disruption was going to take. And in my mind, I said, like, six months, I can rehire people. It'll be another three months. So in nine months, I'll spend $2 million. I'm good. That was, that was my right. thought process. No big deal. That never came around. Dude. Yeah. So in about three months' time, Dennis and I are having a panic meeting. Like, hey, let's sit down. Like, what the hell are we going to do, dude? He said, dude, do we buy more? I, me, I, I default back to I need to buy more properties For because sure. that's what I know. I, don't, I know how to do. I know how to raise money, and I know how to buy properties. So, hey, we buy more properties. We raise more money. He's like, dude, but who fixes them? We don't have people to fix them. The other problem we had was we couldn't sell them because we mm. owe more than what the properties were worth now. And we didn't have people to fix them. So we were in a bind. Like, yeah. like this was a legitimate bind. And, you know, I said, well, no worries, bro. We always figured it out. Why don't we wholesale? And he's like, man, you're good at that stuff. I can focus on rehabbing these houses. So we we sort of like, we pivoted to wholesaling while he still rehabbed some of the houses with some people we hired and trained uh, along the ways. But it wasn't enough for us to offload all the inventory we had. I actually still own two of those properties <laughs> um, that I'm finishing, yeah. you know, as we get more, more income coming. But we ran out of money. And I mean, millions of dollars. Right. I'm, I'm, this is large numbers, right? And then uh, it, it gets to the conversation to where you got to talk to your investors and say, hey, man, I don't have any more money to pay you, dude. So, yeah. you know, you're either going to have to foreclose on it or you work with me until my wholesaling operation can pay for all these rehabs and, you know, we can exit. And I would say 90% of those guys decided to work with us, yeah. and, and, and they did. But there was always that 10% that you'll never please, yeah. and they're always going to be mad at you, talking shit about you and all that, or talk or telling the truth, however you want to put it. Um, and that drove me and him away because Dennis was like, at some point he just got tired. He said, dude, I'm tired of swimming. Yeah. And he says it's like we're, we're, 
we're swimming in the ocean, but we're in the bottom of the ocean with a clump weight tied around our, our feet, and we're holding our breath, but I just don't know when I'm going to get to the surface. So, Ricardo, you enjoy this this stuff. I don't. Yeah. Like, he literally realized that he didn't like it. So he went to be back uh, an engineer. So he's building corp. No, no, no. He, 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 he's an entrepreneur. Okay. So, I mean, he, he could have went to a corporate job and make yeah. maybe 250 a year. Yeah. Uh, because he's, a, he's actually a PE. So he, sign, he can sign drawings and all kinds of stuff. But he went to, uh, I, I encouraged him actually to go build koi ponds. Yes. So I went to his house one day and I see this big koi pond in his backyard. And I was like, dude, what is that? <laughs> Like, this thing is sticking above yeah. the ground, right? And, and they look badass. He had, a, like, a waterfall. And he's like, oh, man, that's my koi pond. And I was like, koi pond? What is a koi pond? He's yeah. like, I got koi fish. All those, those like, colorful fish. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, come check it out. The fishes at the time were little, right? Yeah. Now they're, like, this big. They're yeah. huge. And I said, like, dude, I didn't know you like koi fish. And he's like, it's my passion. And when he told me that, I said, Dennis, why are you not working on your passion, dude? Yeah. He said, well, we got to get out of all these properties, and I don't know that there is any money in, in the koi business. And, and I was like, dude, it's your passion. Like, yeah. literally, you should pursue that. Like, if I were you, I would do it today. Yeah. And I pushed him and pushed him and pushed him until finally, and I wasn't kicking him out. Like, sure, sure, I sure. wanted him around. Encouraging him. I was like, dude, go do that because if you're going to go work on your passion – you're going to do well. Man, he's killing it right now, I building the biggest koi ponds in the city of Houston for the richest people around. He's doing the – shout out to Dennis, by the way. I love it. He's my brother uh, from another mother. But, you know, but eventually I had to, like, make a decision, and 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 I said, okay, no more rehabbing for me. I'm just going to go ahead and, and wholesale. And very I – wouldn't, I wouldn't say very quickly – but within six months, we were already doing, bringing in six figures, right? So the thing is, our deficit was so big yeah. that those six figures didn't matter. Didn't matter. Like they, it's like you were throwing water in a huge fire, and the yeah. water just, you know, and I ended up selling my house. I had to, like, because, yeah. you know, um, I, I remember one day I found myself without money to put gas on, on my truck after making all kinds of money on, yep. you know. So it, I went through a lot of uh, setbacks, but I never let any of those setbacks break you. Break me. Amen. You know? Um, Can't keep a good man down. No. You, you know, and I remember one day, and I always tell this story to people when I talk to them. Um, I had a gym in my house, right? And, and I'm upstairs. It's 530 in the morning, and I'm just – you know, pumping iron. I got Tony Robbins going on, and I got my my environment. You know, yeah. it's like I'm on the zone, right? My wife, she gets up, she like she wakes up and she says I'm not in, in bed, and she said, "Where the hell is this guy at?" Right? She goes, looks for me in the house, and this is a five thousand square foot beautiful home. She goes upstairs. She, I'm on the gym, right? She's like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And I look at her. I was like, "What? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what does it look like I'm doing? Like, yeah. I'm exercising, and I'm on, like, I'm doing my morning routine and stuff, right?" She's like, dude, we're broke. Like, we don't have any money right now. And I'm looking at her, and like, and I'm like, hold on a second. No, 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 no. We're not broke. Number one, you need to get that right. You were broke. I have a cash flow problem. <laughs> and I'm doing my morning routine. Yes. Which I do every freaking day. Yes. So, we can talk about this later, but 
please leave me alone. I'm going to go back to, you know, be center and right. finish my, my deal, right? And the moral of that story is even though I had no money whatsoever and I, and I, and I was behind on bills and behind on payments on those houses and I had given up on my office, so I had to luckily not given up, but the lease came up and I gave the office back. And I was like, okay, $5,000 less, you know, like managing all this money that was all the vampires that were yeah. sucking money in every month. Um, in my mind, I was never broke. I was, Amen. I just had a cash flow problem and I was just dealing with it. And, and when you, when you have those deals, you have to deal with them, period. Yeah. Like you have to scale down so you can scale back up. Yep. And, and I went through that, through that process all 2019, because uh, I remember that I gave up the office back to Edmund on 2000, uh, January 2019. So 2019 was kind of weird because I don't know if Dennis and I were together, but we were sort of like still working together. Right. And... And then, uh, dude, I still made $2 million that year. Right. I was broke, but I, like, financially, but I still brought in $2 million bucks. And then he, that's when he kind of, like, said, okay, dude, I'm going away. And a lot of it was because of that VTO that I talked about this morning. I put it in there, and he was, like, very resistant. And he's like, ah, yeah, we can't do this. We can't do it. We got all this shit. I was like, Dennis. He's like, no, man, I'm gone. Like, I'm going to go do my thing. And then I carried on by myself. And what happened is I attracted a bunch of guys that were orphans, wholesalers, orphans, like they're one, yeah. one man operations. And I kind of like included in them in my operation. Next thing you know, I start growing again and boom, here we are today. Right. I but, um, but that's what happened with me back in 2017. And it's been like a four year journey that is not easy to, you know, to, to, for a lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't be here today. Yeah. And much less talking about it online on, on a podcast, sure. you know, saying how much I lost north of $10 million. So it was yeah. probably closer to 15. I just quit counting after 10 because it just made me depressed, you know. Yeah. And But I had to become a wholesaler by necessity. It wasn't because it was cool to to wholesale. Yeah. I didn't even like wholesalers to begin with. Right. I love it now. I love it because yeah. I, I see it. I see it different. I see it like you see it, which is, hold on a second. We are in the marketing business. Exactly. This happens to be attached to real estate. The day real estate gets, like, people, I see it online all the time. Oh, do you think real estate wholesaling will be regulated? I'm like, who cares, dude? Like, if that gets regulated, we'll just figure something else out. Like, there is another product. There is another lane. There is something else you can get yourself plugged in. But if you know how to establish systems and processes, yes. how to hire, how to train, how to stay motivated, how to motivate your team, how to weed out all the bullshit, how to freaking cut out all that, you know, all that stuff, how to surround yourself with the right people, doing these this masterminds that we do, these goal-setting sessions, podcasting, you know, getting to know each other. It don't matter whether you're selling freaking Kool-Aid today or, 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 or PPC or, you know. Like, you're killing it with your leads. Gene, Gene is killing it with PPC, yep. right? Is he wholesaling houses? No. No, he's, sell, he's wholesaling leads. He's yeah. selling the shovels. We're selling the shovels in the gold rush. We're selling the shovels in the gold rush. That's correct. Yeah. And and what happened with me on my, like, even my texting platform is I developed it for my operation, but people started asking for it. Right. And I was like, oh. Exactly right. It's a quality product, though. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I got something here. You know, like, yes. how can I, like. Now, my partner didn't want to develop it on, on that platform anymore because he had his reasons. But um, 
but that's how that's how we got to where we are today. And it was by necessity. It wasn't by, you know, I had it. Now I see it different now. Right. And, and I think the future is very bright. So, you know, I think we still got a good few years of wholesaling. Easy. Uh, at a minimum five. Yeah. At a minimum. And even if you get two states regulator uh, per year, that's 10 states in the next five years. So yeah. how many states we got? You know, 47. Uh, left, yeah, you know, so, um, you know, anyhow, that's a little bit of, well, the reason why I want to applaud you, not only the story, but I was curious how you made that transition because I get a lot of, and yours was because of necessity. And, yeah. and like I said, you can't keep a good man down. So I understand how you gravitated so well to it, but I get a lot of investors who contact me up and they're like, we're tired of paying wholesalers, these wholesaler fees. We want to do it ourselves. And I tell them right out of the gates, that's actually the very wrong way to look at this. Like a wholesaler has its position and more importantly has its value in this food cycle because what they're doing is sales what you're doing is buying off of price they're closing off of emotion for the most part and so you get these investors who are like i just want to cut out the wholesalers and so whatever they're trying to cut out the wholesalers they pay more in education tax by trying to get out there and do it themselves because they don't have a sales infrastructure uh they've never closed anybody they've only bought on paper and then they're like, well, I can just pay a little bit more than the wholesalers. So from the amount more that they pay, plus all the struggles that they have to go through, a lot of investors- They all quit. They should, exactly. They all quit. They should. They No, they all quit. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. I've seen it over and over and over. I mean, I got friends, Scott, that that here locally in Houston, Yeah. that they saw me getting into wholesale because I was a rehabber. I was right. the buyer, right? And the only reason I became a wholesaler- I mean, and, and let me take it back to somewhere around 2014. In 2014, I was a, a, a corporate junkie, right? So I was running corporate jobs here, oil and gas, making good money, and I had rentals. So, you know, literally I was the guy investing in passive income and all right. that stuff, right? So what happened was in between 2014 and 2015, leads disappeared. Like, I could not find anything on the MLS, Hubs of Ronald, which was one of the auction sites. The auction.com wasn't all that great either. Right. Like, I couldn't find a lot of stuff that I was used to finding. So I didn't need wholesalers. Right. Every now and then, a deal will pop up from a wholesaler. And I was like, hmm, maybe that one makes sense. Because that's a, that was another problem I had was, that's why I didn't like wholesalers, is that they were all completely overpriced. Sure. Because they were picking them up too high. Right. So I'm like, man... None of the deals make sense that are coming by email. Now, the good deals, those wholesalers had a phone call away from their yeah. buyer, especially if it's locally. So you never get to see those deals, right? They're just figuring out who they're going to sell it to. Right. But because I was not on any of those lists, I said, I have to go figure this out on my own. I got to be able to talk to the sellers myself. And one day we're in my house, Dennis and I, and I said, then, and we were, we were already rehabbing a lot of houses. And I said, Dennis, how can we get to the sellers directly? And he says, Ricardo, I got on this website called Bigger Pockets, and somewhere in there I read that if you send yellow letters, people call you to sell their houses. And I flat out laugh my ass off. Like I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? A yellow letter? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, you had you do these handwritten letters? And he showed me one, like an example, and I, I was laughing. I was like, I can't believe people are like selling houses like this. This looks like a scam. Right. Right. Now, so I'm like, dude, you promised me this thing works. I'll throw money at it. And he's like, 
well, that's what I read on the website. So I started look. I got on the website. I went to the blogs, and I was like, oh, wow, what's the best company to send yellow letters out and all these things? And I discovered this whole new world that I didn't right. know existed. Next thing I know, I'm sending my first batch of mailers. It was 400 letters. Yes. I got two houses. Oh, beautiful. And I stole them because by, at the time I would go do these, you know, appointments, and I'm in front of the seller, and I have all the sales trainings from the past, from years, sure. and from working with my dad on the insurance business and all that stuff. And I'm creating a report, and I'm mimicking, and I'm freaking pointing there when the guy's pointing. There, just like we watch on the videos, exactly. right? And the tonality, and how, the, how if they're visual or kinesthetic. And, and I'm applying all these things. And next thing you know, the guy's like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. And I'm like, oh, shit. I can't believe. Is, is this is this easy? Yes. Wow. I said, Dennis, why didn't you tell me this before? I could have said <laughs> I don't know, a million letters, dude. Yeah. And so we can we can get more houses. So we went from four hundred mailers and somewhere into I think that, that mailing campaign was somewhere in 2014. I forgot time frame. Uh but in 2017, we were doing about eighty thousand a month. Oh, beautiful. And the phone was just it was all inbound, right? All inbound and we'll take the calls, write down, go to the appointment, lock it up. Even I started doing virtual, but it was like a hybrid because I would send letters to Tampa, Tampa, Florida, and I would time them. So I said, okay, if they're living on Friday, they're hitting their mailboxes on Tuesday, which means they're going to read it by Wednesday. So on Tuesday, I'll be in Tampa. And on Tuesday, I was getting on an airplane, going to Tampa. And as soon as I'm landing, I got a girl Calling me, said, hey, you got an appointment at 3.30 p.m. here. You got an appointment at 4.30 p.m. there. And I was just going there from house to house to house to house with a rental car. Bermudas, my same as cash shirt, doing the report thing, locking them up. Beautiful, boom, boom, man. boom, 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 boom. But that was out of necessity because of Harvey. Because in Harvey, everybody came to town. Yes. And when everybody came to town, I was like, hmm, this is not good, man. All the wholesalers in the world are here in town. I got to go to their town. So yeah. I went to rob their town while they were robbing my town. You follow me? I love it. And that's exactly how we got into this whole thing. And But we were buying all these properties, and then we was like, okay, we got to sell the properties. How do I sell the property? So we started doing local meetups because we were very Houston. I was like, I didn't need to leave Houston, man. There's 8 million people here. Right. So I was like, I'm in my own market. We dominated. We know how it is, you know. And our competitors, we never ran into the same property. Never did. Like, it was very abnormal. But when I started going to other markets, like here, got very popular to do uh, meetups. So they were doing all these meetups, free beer, free food. That's how you got people through the door. That's how competitive Houston is. Right. Like, you have to get people drunk to come to your event <laughs> for free. So I was like, okay, we started four events, one, uh, and they were called the events. So it was the event in Katy, the event in Texas, uh, in Houston, the event in Spring, and we did one in each side of the, the the city. That way, the local investors will go there, and that's where we will sell our houses. Nice. So I went and did the same thing in Tampa. I started a, a meetup in Tampa, and we started getting you know buyers through 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 the door, free beer, and people were like who the hell is doing these free beer things? Because I'm taking the Houston mentality yes. to those other towns, and they're like, they're still on the RIA model. That, right, right, like right. You got to pay 50 bucks a month, and it's a bunch of old people in there like talking about the same deal they did back in 1989, right. and then the guy's not even doing deals. You know, it's like, 
I was like, man, I, I want none of that. I'm, I wanted to, I want to have fun. And that's how we started like building our buyers list. And then one day I ran into Nick Perry and he's like, why are you doing all of this? Why are you doing all this traveling? And why? And we're just talking, right? And I was like, dude, I don't know. That's I, I know that if I get in front of the seller, it's a done deal. Like, yeah. there's no, you're not, nobody's taking this property away from me. He's like, how about you get good and, and, and you do it over the phone? And he changed, like, my my paradigm, like, completely changed, yes. right? So um, then I started, had another friend, Charles, he started, he was good at marketing, lead generating. He was horrible at conversion. I was good at conversion, so he'll send me all his leads, and we JV no problems, you know. And, I, yeah. and then I'll convert them and I sell them. I said, dude, I'll lock him up and I sell them for you. All you gotta do is worry about your VAs and send me all the leads, right? Exactly. And he, we were both happy because he was making a ton of money by lead generating, which is what he enjoyed doing. And I was happy converting, which is something I enjoy doing. And I was doing my own lead generation, so I had his lead generation, my lead generation, and a couple of other people's lead generation coming in. The thing is, I still had limiting beliefs on I have to go be in front of the seller, in person. And once I removed myself from that equation and I started learning all this virtual thing, the whole world changed. Yeah, I don't think I would ever have entered into this space if virtual wasn't an option. Um, number one, I mean, I, I think I'm probably one of the better proofs of concept for being virtual because we're closing deals from a different continent yep. daily. Yep. I'm in Colombia, South America, originating everything from the lead to the qualified lead or the data to the lead qualified lead, closing, TC, buyers, all that's happening in a different continent. Mm -hmm. And so... With a different culture, by the way. Different culture, different continent, brand new concept down there for obviously that those groups of individuals. But when I talk to uh, people who are inquiring about our services, I'm like, what market are you in? And they're like, okay, hey, I'm here, let's say in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, great. And then are you guys face-to-face -face or you're virtual? I love virtual guys. They typically have their sales more refined. They have an opportunity to train better. And I think that's what a lot of face-to-face -face guys don't realize is you need to scale your closers, but you also have to have a consistency in your pitch because it is a pitch. This is not a freestyle thing. And when you have your closer going out in his truck and talking to that seller, you can't pull that recording. You can't train them on how he better could have handled that. You're losing all that refinement. And more importantly is if you can do this job, I, I tell you that my three, I think that are, I'm going to use the word tough, but uh, uphill markets, obviously anything in Arizona, Southern California, and most major markets in Texas. And so when I talk to these guys here, I'm like, man, dude, you've been successful in SoCal for the past three years. Do you know what you would do in North Carolina? Like those sales skills that you learned in Phoenix, do you know how you will dominate Wisconsin? No, I, they have no idea. Well, they have no idea. And the reality is, is that you will get consistent results. The spreads may be smaller, right? But your volume is going to be significantly Base higher. Hits. Base hits all day. Your marketing overhead is going to be significantly lower. And it's easier to build a culture off of multiple deals a day than a deal a week or two deals a week. And so I love the fact that you can be virtual in this space because my market is the same as your market, which is the United States. Mm -hmm. Like The country is our market. That's There's it. a place that's not our market anymore. And so when I think about the, the vertical expansion, my goal is to get our wholesaling office. And we're still striving ever since day one, and we'll get there. We'll, we will get there this upcoming year. But this is a 10-deal-a-day campaign. And so for me, I can get to 10 deals a day. I can. We've had days where we've gotten to eight. We have five-deal day on Friday. We have deals, days when we've gotten up. We haven't hit 10 yet in a day. But I, I'm consistent. Uh, I, our operations are such that it demands and dictates 10 deals a day. And once we're at 10 deals a day, then if you're at 10, you're at 15. Dude, check this out. So I, you're, you're saying 10 deals a day, and I love it because I'm, I'm following the same pattern, right? But I remember when I had 10 deals in my fur in one month, Good. I was like, 
what is that? Like, because I, I come from the corporate, I was an employee, you know, right. so I was making good money to be an employee. I was making 260 a year. But when I had my, my whole yearly salary on the board to close. Oh, it's a beautiful feeling. Right? I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, that means I can go do this like two million a month or something like that. And, you know, now you start thinking completely different because yes. you you see rich people like people that bring a lot of money. Right. You always wonder, how is it that they do it? Right. Like why, why, why Scott is available to do, I don't know, five million in a month and I can only do 500,000. Like right. what we're in. And we probably read maybe similar books. Uh, we probably hang out around the similar people. But there is a reason why there's some people that have a thermostat that is a financial thermostat that is higher than other ones. And there, there's underlying things that happen for that person to raise that financial thermostat mm-hmm. at that level, right? And, and I, was, I was wondering a lot of that time, how is it that I can raise that financial thermostat so I can materialize on these deals? And I just didn't know how. I, I didn't know because I was surrounding myself with a lot of the right people in town um, and, and finally I cracked the code and, and the code was in my, in my, in my case, cause I'm pretty sure there's plenty of different ways I had to leave town because I was the average of the guys here in town Amen. and most of the guys in town were doing the same exact thing, yep. four to five deals a month, maybe 10 deals a month. Uh, you know, if if they made a hundred grand in a month, it was like an ungodly amount of money, and it was unbelievable. Because I went to all the rias here, nobody was making that kind of money. Right. I was about the only guy, and I remember walking into this rias, uh, Scott, and he's like, God showed up. Yes. Here comes the guy that flips forty-seven houses at the same time, and I remember guys looking at me with, with disbelief. Is that really true? And to me, I was like, Yeah, man, I'm doing it. like. Like, why is this, like, a, such a big deal? Right. Now, I was not in the space. I was completely on my own space. I didn't have time to go deal with all these people. It's when I had the necessity to become a wholesaler is when I started plugging myself in, and I was like, man, I was the bigger fish on the pond before I even knew. I need to go find me a bigger pond. Right. I, like, like, and this is no disrespect to anybody around because there is a great ton of guys out here doing all kinds of stupid things, you know, yeah. from lending to commercial to whatever. But at least with the people that I was surrounding myself with, one started hanging out with the Nick Perrys of the world, with right. the all-in guys, with all these other guys. I mean, it's just the level just went up through. Yeah. So I meet so many people at different entry levels into this industry, and I find that there's, I always say this, there's definitely more hobbyists than there are entrepreneurs in this yeah. space, which is great for the entrepreneurs because we can go into any market and disrupt it for the most part, particularly anything in the Midwest, because these guys are literally, they're not trying to build a legacy. They're not trying to retire yeah, young. And they don't even have desire to do big they things. They don't. And what they're trying to do is replace their corporate job income. And okay, great. You worked at Bank of America and you made 72000 They're trying 000. to be comfortable. Comfortable. It's that's, the best way to that's, put it. That's, that's exactly right. That's it, dude. It's exactly right. I don't know how else to explain it. They, they just want to be comfortable. Right. And, and, and the reason I say this is because I have a friend. He just got laid off. Right. Great guy. He makes good money. Um, and I, I messaged him and said, hey, man, what's, how is it going, bro? Like, are, Is there anything I can do for you, right? Man, I just want to be comfortable. Because he's very uncomfortable right now, right? He has no money coming in. <laughs> and I said, come to the office, dude. Because <laughs> I like him like that. Yeah. Right now, he's completely wide open. Like He's like all ears. All right, this is how you're going to be comfortable, okay? 
push through all this shit, you're going to find a comfort zone. But if you stay in this comfort zone, you're going to start dying. Because there's no such thing as a, you're either going up or down. But there's no constant, like a job. A job has a constant. Yes. You know exactly what your paycheck is going to yep. be on Friday. Yeah, I got $5,000 coming in on Friday. I'm good. I can take care of the mortgage, car payment, blah, blah, my credit card. But in our world, no. we're either making it or we're dying. Yeah. You know, we're either going and thriving or we're freaking dying. And I'm just trying to make this guy aware right now. And and, and he, I'm pretty sure he'll, he's going to succeed if he surrounds himself with the right people. That there's no such thing as being comfortable. It's like, just keep pushing yourself this way. And eventually, maybe one day, you'll replace yourself from that one operation, and now that thing runs on its own, and yeah. now you find a comfort zone. But it's you're years away from me. Yeah, I that. say that all the time. I go to some of these masterminds, and again, I've only been in it for two years, and I'll meet the guys that are in there longer than myself, and they're like, you know, hey, at this stage, you know, I'm not really involved in the company anymore. I don't really want to be involved in the company anymore, and I'm this and I'm this, and like a degree of that I respect because I know as I get older, my body bio biology changes, and I, and I get it. But for me, and I say this all the time in my office, what I do is my jet ski. It is literally when I walk in the office and we scream and we yell and everybody's around clapping and we're doing our thing, it is the same adrenaline high every minute I'm in that office than it is if I was on a jet ski. And you can't frown when you're on a jet ski. And there's nothing more exciting about getting in there, leading this group, impacting all these wholesalers nationwide, delivering thousands of leads a month and doing what we're doing. It's not a burden to my soul. It's not a burden to my time. It's the most enjoyable thing I've ever done, which is leading and creating from nothing, these levels of operations. And more importantly, knowing where we're going, knowing what our future months are forecasted to look like. So I love it. It's the possibility of what you know, what you can do, right? So a lot of these guys that remove themselves from the business, they, they, and nothing wrong against those guys, by the way. They, they found something else they're passionate about now. That's, that's what it is. They found another passion, whether it's fishing or maybe a new company they're running on the side or what. They just found another passion. This is not passionate anymore. Yeah. For me, rehabbing was a passion. It's not anymore. Right. Now is this growth on wholesaling and, and uh, different multiple lanes related to the same vertical, right? Yes. But, you know, I do enjoy coming to my office. Yes. I love hanging out here and then talking to him. It's not, okay, now I got to go to Pereira in February or March <laughs> or whatever and pay you a visit and see what you got going on. And maybe I'll take a couple of nuggets from you there. And boom, now now you just better my life because right. you opened up, you know, your space. Uh, I even somebody saw you here in the office and already messaged me and said, hey, man, come on, tell Scott to receive me in Pereira. You know, I live in, in – he moved to Medellin. That's Carlos, the guy right. I was saying. Shout out to Carlos, by the way. Uh, Carlos, uh, uh, Scott, and I, uh, uh, we're, you and I are going to go visit Scott next year in, uh, in, in uh, Pereira. So, but anyhow, it's, it's how you level up, right? But I enjoy what I do. Yeah. And I, I think if I exit a company, you know, at some point, it's because I'm, going, I'm doing someone else, something else. Yeah, you hope so, yeah. It's like, if you, I don't know, like, how old are you? Uh, 40. 40. I'm 43, right? So, I just don't see myself being at home all freaking day. Like, I don't know what I would do with myself. I've been working all my life, dude. I started working when I was eight. Eight. So, you know, and I will put on a suit to go to my dad's office. <laughs> and I made him I made him buy me a suit because he, he he dressed with a suit to yeah. go sell insurance, right? So I'm like, Dad, I want a suit. And I, and I was the, the secretary's um, folder kid. 
hey, Ricky, go get me this folder. And I go get the folder and I give it to him. But I was wearing a suit, right? I ended up running his operations by the time I was 20. Wow. I knew the company in and out. Sure. Right? What happened was me and him started doing this and, you know, I ended yeah, up yeah. going my way and I was very responsible too at the time, you know, chasing all kinds of other things. And, um, you know, but retire at 40 or 43, dude, we're in our best years of our life. Yeah. You know, our most productive time is actually in between 35 and 50. Yeah. And for some people, it's actually 55 and 60. Well, it's the knowledge base, right? Because I've scaled this company, what took me seven, almost seven years to do, been able to do in less than two years. Yeah. And so that knowledge base, obviously, had me and you both not gone through the things that we've been through, we wouldn't be able to come up and bring it up to speed. But it's almost, it's as much the knowledge base as, as it is that now there's no question of my abilities. Because I know that, hey, listen, you've done it once, you've set it up here, this is the operations, the technology stacks, the best leverage. And uh, I just love being able to know that my vision Still, I'll sell this company. And one of the things, and Kent Clothier is one of my mentors. I, I, I look up to him. I consider him a friend. But I remember the time he told me that this business wasn't sellable. And that's all I needed him to tell me. Mm-hmm. Created a baby. challenge for you. Watch this, baby. Because I'm confident. In, and it's more than just a wholesaling operation. We're talking about the entire ecosystem, the mm-hmm. analytics side, the data side, the lead gen side, the relationships with the affiliates, the revenue share or the revenue from the call center. But it is a bundleable company. I guess... <laughs> The way you do it, you're right. The way he does it, he's right. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? I do. Nobody's wrong. He's writing his way, you're writing your way. Yes. Because you have a full ver- you're fully fully integrated. Yes. Right? When you're fully integrated, I'm the I'm a firm believer as what you're talking about because I've been fully integrated since day one. Yeah, did I use other services? Yeah, I used other services to understand the process. And guess what? If those services would have been top-notch to me, I would have probably still be using them. I couldn't agree more. But eventually I said, you know what? I can do these letters myself quicker, cheaper, and better. Yep. And boom, I went and opened up my own mailing company, and I I became a guy that had a better service than most people out there, right? Exactly. And I integrated that into the ecosystem. And then I integrated the general contract and I integrated the flipping and I integrated the, the wholesaling, you know? And so it was all tied in together. And in my mind, I said, I can sell this. Even if in, in what if I have assets in it now? Yes. I got a portfolio of two, three, four, five hundred 500 houses. Now I have lead generation. I have uh, marketing. I have this, I have that. And plus assets. Dude, I can Lights freaking out. 10X that. No problems, yeah. right? You know, so you can't sell something that's fully integrated. But he's right. If you're a mom and pop only running around yourself doing five million by yourself in a wholesaling operation, you can't really sell that. Yeah, I agree. One of the things I like that you're saying there, though, is about all these different things that you have this experience in. It's the reason why I tell people it's like, hey, I'm not just a call center guy. I'm your strategic partner. Like I'm doing wholesale deals myself at volume. And so you're just trying to get from three to seven to 10 deals you know, there's another world out there where people are getting from 50 to 70 and up deals. And it's like, you want people like ourselves with your mail or with your text messaging, because we're not doing it to offer a service. We're doing it to produce a quality lead. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing it to produce a quality lead, it's because you understand what happens when a closer gets it. And you understand what happens when the dispo person gets it. And so I think that's a big gap, particularly in the VA arbitrage space, because that's a big thing. It's just guys contract somebody for three bucks, sell it for five bucks, but they're not really in the X, uh, uh, 
uh, export part of it or the output part of it, excuse me, where they're actually monitoring what happens after they produce that lead. Because anybody can produce a lead. What we say is I'll produce you less leads, but you'll have longer conversations. Because I'm not a volume play. I'm a quality of conversation play. So less leads, longer conversations, because the longer conversations is what means the more deals. And that's all that matters. It only matters the amount of deals that you get. Well, that's what we do. And, 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 and this is what we do maybe the same way, but in a different way, right. which is crazy because you do it through coconut, but I do it through texting. Right. All that nurturing for me is done through a text message. Yes. Goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. While you, your guys are actually on the Staying phone, on the, on the phone, on the phone, calls. on the phone, yep. on the phone, which is for driving momentum. That's actually better on the phone because there's energy, there's energy transfer, right. uh, body language, the whole nine yards, right? Tonality on text messaging it's more, it's more non-invasive. So we allow the client or the prospect, uh, which is the seller on this case, uh, which I see them as clients, by the way, Correct. right? And I see my buyers as clients as well, by the way. So we allow the prospect to say, I will respond to you when I have time. Yep. And then they go through a text message. Oh, yeah, we got a four-bedroom with a three-bathroom and a two-car garage and, you know, blah, 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 1,900 square feet, and this is what we're selling, and I'm just tired of my husband, whatever, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and then we get all of that, and then we're like, okay, this person is raising their hand. Is there a price you have in mind? We do ask that question. Sure. Do you have a price in mind? Mm, I never thought about it yet. What can you offer? Okay, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to grab all this information. And I'm going to send it to my senior associate. His name is Scott Morse, who's going to be giving you a call. When is a good time to call you? Yep. Call me tomorrow at 9 p.m. Perfect. Scott is going to call you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Now, Mr. Senior Associate now gets all this information. It's like an attorney, like, 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 like the police officers. You know, yep. keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, I'm going to use all this information against you, right? Now we got all this information and said, oh, we know he's got four bedrooms. I wonder when the last time he remodeled this bathroom. Boom, 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 boom. Now we got we can be more specific and yes. we can focus more on building the rapport, which is my brother is great at that, by the way, uh, building that rapport over the phone and and he's locking up deals now left and right, left and right. And and the other guy Eddie, these are these are killers, like they're literally yeah. killers. They're freaking locking everything that comes through their way, um, but they come from the sales background, right? They yes. were selling windows, dude. Like <laughs> you get a guy that can sell windows, you know, you, you can buy a house. Yeah, I, I like uh, agents who have had obviously I'm, uh, have an affinity to any type of timeshare sales experience, but solar door to door knives. Like I love true sales backgrounds because those guys have been struggling on car lots and the neighborhoods struggling, and then they can come in here and they can be given a high quality lead. They have a great work ethic, or they never would have been successful in that type of sales. Like going door to door selling solar. It, that's not an easy gig. No, no, no. That takes a lot yeah. of... <laughs> and so, but having those people with that sales experience, that work ethic, but they still need a quality lead to talk to. Because one of the worst things you can do, and that's why I appreciate what you're saying, because we get all this questionnaires, we qualify them, then we send it over. Our average qualification call is about 15 minutes long. So we're having that healthy of a conversation. But if me, people like me and you don't put a quality lead in front of that closer, you actually make your closer a glorified BA. Yes. You want to hurt morale, you give them underqualified leads, and now they're spending their time trying to find the lead that is qualified. By the way, I learned that the hard way because I had guys in-house doing all of that, lead generation, right. and I would see their faces sometimes. Like, like their face was of defeat. Yeah. Like, dude, like, I just called 10,000 people. Nobody's picking up the phone. Yep. I freaking give up. Like, this is not for me, right? And that's like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. Like, how come these other guys are doing it through cold calling and my guys can't? Yeah. 
there's I'm missing something. Huh? And by the way, we've watched all the videos that you can yeah. think of on trainings for call calling and pulling lists and these but and still, that, right? You got to get your head bashed in right. as a qualifier. And so when I was at your event in Miami, thank you for the opportunity to speak on stage, but I talked about the front or closer model. And so I'll say it on any stage forever for the rest of my life. I firmly believe in the fronter closer model. My fronter's front, my closer's close, which in your guys' jargon, you say you're maybe a qualifier and then this is your acquisition manager. Yeah. We call them fronter closers. But that fronter is so highly trained in the objections and the rebuttals that it takes here. They never get to see this world over here. Honestly, if they knew that this world existed over here, they, they wouldn't want to do this. They want to do this. Exactly. Yeah. And so, but, and these guys over here, I don't need them having the caliber conversations happen over here because this is a high end conversation. And the moment that you bifurcate those two conversations, completely keeping them with their own incentives, their own KPIs, but making a closer front and then only getting one opportunity to close a day or every other day, cause he's spending all his time fronting, it can destroy, but it's not scalable. In my opinion, it's not scalable. And I thought it was, and, and that's why I did it. Right. So I said, okay, now hell I'll do the lead generation, all that stuff in house. Now I will be with them. Right. But eventually they'll be like, dude, we just tapped out of all our, all of our leads. And, and I was like, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a different way. There's got, and until finally I said, I'm going to separate it. Just like yes. you talked about front end and then you're closer. Yes. And that's what my texters are. They're front ends and they're getting all this data. Yes. And then they're like, Hey, somebody raised their hand. All right. Send it to a closer now. And the closer now has got a quality. They're just shot. going for the kill, man. Like, exactly. you know, like it's a matter of pricing thing and structure or whatever, yeah. you know. And yeah, not every not everything closes. Not you know, some people they got unrealistic expectations. But it even went back to when I realized that that breaking that one process down in two. Now my process is broken down into actually three. So I have marketing on one side, mm -hmm. acquisitions on another side. And dispositions on another side. 100%. They're all broken. So we break it into four. So we have the data team. So the acquisitions, the closers, and dispos have nothing ever to do with the data targeting side. And so mm -hmm. that's our thing. We consider it like a baseball diamond. First is your data analysis, your data research, pulling the list, skipping the list, the platform management. Second base is obviously qualifying the lead, spending the time to get the generated leads. Third base is closing the lead. And then home base is dispos. And so it's like, hey, we've broken it down into four simple steps. What I try to do and companies like ourselves try to do is we cover the first two bases for them. Ha allow me to do your data targeting. Allow me to do your data acquisition, your skip tracing, all your lead lifecycle management. Allow me to do all your qualifications. I just took 50% off of the baseball diamond for you. Now all you got to do is sprint from third to home. Mm -hmm. Close the deal, dispo the deal. Close the deal, dispo the deal. And when you can give these wholesalers that time back in their lives, then they actually become able to scale the business. Because if not, they're trying to buy data and then, oh my God, my free 10,000 leads, I got to download today. And it's just all this nonsense that's out there. And two uh, other small things I'd, I'd like to say, if I can, while I'm on your podcast. Of course. I think one of the worst things I ever saw when I came into your industry was a seven minute or less pitch bullshit. But that's some bullshit somebody came up with. That I never agree with it. I, exactly. But there's people out there that think that you can pitch this fast. Let me just tell you, with the volume that we're doing, and it's a, I'm an adamant believer, it's on our walls, big in our sales cycle, it says it takes time to take homes. You know, if I have a closer 
who's on the phone for less than 30 minutes and dropping a price, 20 minutes and dropping a price, I know my shot of getting that deal is very, very low because it takes time to build rapport, to find out their issues, to create urgency, to create scarcity, to ask for a reduction and get a contract signed. And so a lot of these people are just rushing through the process. They're rushing through the process because they're so used to having a qualify lead. So you do go fast when you're qualifying the lead. You got to get to 10,000 numbers in a day. But once you can get them off of that, that rat race, that, that hamster wheel, and get them over here, it's like, no, now you're the guy that takes time. I need you to have a 30 to 45-minute conversation easy with this person over the phone because if you spend enough time with somebody, one thing, they don't want to do it again. No matter what your price is, they're like, man, I just spent an hour talking to this guy. He seemed like so nice. We built so much rapport. They're less likely to shop, not only because you built rapport, but also time's a hell of a thing. And you've spent so much time with them and you're the expert now. They understand what their price is. So that seven minute pitch and hustling through it, I think is a bad thing. And then my other small thing is like me and you, we use a lot of the same terminology. I call it fronters closers. I think one of the worst things this industry has ever done is introduce the word acquisition managers. Yes. The reason why I feel that way is because an AM isn't definitive of what the job is. If I'm a firefighter, I fight fires. If I'm a closer, I close. I'm an acquisitions manager. So to me, I, every time I see somebody talk about acquisitions manager, I picture a guy like selling pool chemicals. No, you're a raw dog, like real deal. You understand the art of persuasion. You understand NLP. You're a closing machine. And so we don't allow anybody in our operation to use the words AM or acquisitions manager. You're a closer. This is your job. This is all you do is you close deals. And yeah, so we, have, we have lead generators and closers. Damn, exactly. Right? And you are right. I've been calling acquisitions because that's what we call it in this business. But in, in, in reality, it's, it's nothing else that contracting, you know, making a sale, right? Making a sale. So, uh, you know, yeah, we, we got to make a change there because I see all these acquisitions trainings and, and, and acquisitions managers and, and, and I, I got lead generation and closers, man. Amen. That's that's it. And then I qualify them. Yes. You know, it's, it's more of an act qualification, like, because... You cannot, you cannot convince somebody to sell their house if they're not ready for it. Hundred percent. You know, if they're not ready for it, it doesn't matter how much you talk to them. Eventually, that's going to be an unqualified lead. It's like, no, you know what, man? This guy called because he's just wondering what his house is worth, but he's not willing to sell. Next, go to the next exactly. one. Like, hey, don't waste more time on that because you're just going to get uh, frustrated. So, anyhow, what is next for you? Yeah. So I think for me, the focus for 2022, some of the things that we're debbing out. So we have a really super awesome CRM product that we're going to roll out sometime this upcoming year, just observing all the pain points and knowing what our team's leveraging. I'm going to move that to the side for a second, but we're doing about 2 million outbound dials a week right now. So 2 million outbound dials is a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of numbers, a healthy number. But so what we've set up here in Q2, we got it refined in Q3 up and four is we set up what's called a data lake. And so what we're doing right now is I really want to be able to offer not only the best industry, I mean, best data, but like world-class uh, Wall Street, excuse me, Wall Street would love this type of data. So right now what we're doing is we're passing back our call side data back to our data lake and we're scoring all of our numbers based on the results on a zero to five. So zero is like never got in touch with them. One of them was wrong number, no, in, no never answered. And we're scoring the numbers all the way up. So I'm sanitizing we have, I don't know, 40 million addresses in our database or how many of the numbers are in there. Maybe it's phone numbers, but we're just sanitizing this at such health. So that way I'm able to offer in the future a product that says, hey, listen, not only do I know this number is actually associated with this address, but these numbers definitely aren't. They actually appear on this address over here. So we're sanitizing that database and offering a much more uh, 
user-friendly analytics dashboard. So we just signed up with something called Amazon QuickSight, and we're rolling this out to our products. We have three affiliates on it now where they can see on a map all their leads on pins. And everyone that was like not interested, it's red. Everyone that's qualified is green. So they can start seeing down by the neighborhood level. Yeah, so you're doing data segregation, basically. You're data segregation, data visualization, probably right. the most important. So data sanitizing on the, on the data sales, data visualization for our affiliates. And we're about 70-some affiliates right now. We'll be into around 200 by the end of this upcoming year. Uh, I just want to continue to grow and disrupt in this vertical because if I can do anything and that's kill weak ass leads, I will have fulfilled my mission because this industry is addicted to weak leads and they don't even know it. They're driving a hoopty for a fucking marketing channel and they have no clue because everybody's got a hoopty. Mm -hmm. And once we can get in there and really disrupt that, uh, it'll be a game changer and then I'll pivot on to realtors. But for now, I'm only solely wholly focused on wholesalers. Right. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, Scott, thank you so much, man. I'm pretty sure we're going to do a lot more of this. I'm sure. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I can wait until I see what you do in the next two or three, uh, th three to five years, basically. See, yeah. uh, I want to see what, where you get, cause it, it will be fascinating to see, you know, your Thank growth, uh, especially for, you've only been around for two years and, and you're doing better than a lot of us here, right? Like, you know, when it comes to scaling operations yeah. and everybody, that's a fancy word, like that's been thrown around big time, scaling, scaling, scaling. Yeah. Well, you came in two years. You scaled bigger than a lot of the people in the, in this industry, um, and and I can just wait until I see where you where you end up. You know, in the next three or five years, because I can I can see you having a call center with five hundred people with no yeah. problems, like probably coasting through that uh, because of your 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 energy and your work ethic and 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 your de determination and you have such a grid and 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 and. And thrive, which is is amazing. That I, I actually look up to you in many ways uh, because Thank of that. Um, and and guys, if you guys are watching this podcast, make sure you guys you guys go find Scott. Uh, how can people get in touch in touch with you? So the number one thing is I want to see have people see behind the call center, behind the scenes, see what happens. And we're really open and transparent at our office. So at Lamasu Leads on Instagram. And then if you want more uh, information on the services, it's lamasuleads.com. You fill out a form. It takes you directly to my calendar for now. And it's just a way for us to talk about how we can help scale your business. But definitely start at Instagram if you're on Instagram because you'll get to see how the sausage is made. And we talk a lot of smack about the industry on there in a pleasant way, you know, letting them see exactly what we're dealing with and how things are working out. So it's a really cool snapshot. And it's Lamasuleads with two S's, guys. So uh, L-A-M-A-S-S-U leads.com. Go find him on Instagram. Follow. I watch your your operation. I love it. I I, I just feel good when I see somebody thriving like that. Yeah. It's like, man, look at that call center and and all the people. And I and I call the lieutenants, the guys yes, that are walking yes. around like enforcing, you know, people making calls. It's beautiful. I love that. So, guys, go check out Scott. He has a he has a tier one service when it comes to lead generation. I'm not gonna talk too much about that. But he's the main guy that runs it, and you you can be his client if you desire, if you want to have great results. Um, you know, even though I have my own operation where we do lead generations, I don't even consider ourselves competitors because we're in, oh. in, like, in two complete different lanes, but we do the same thing, basically. And if I had to hire a cold caller, it'll be you. Like, it wouldn't be like, I wouldn't go nowhere else. Uh, but if you guys need cold callers, if you guys need high-quality leads uh, produced, Scott is the man, man. So go check him out. Scott, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate, I appreciate you, so man. Much me I enjoy this so podcast, much. and I'm looking forward to doing more in the future. Guys, May 27th and 28th, 2022, 
attend growth is coming, okay? We're going to have a website January 1st. Mr. Caleb Lukatik is working on it. We're going to be running a lot of uh, marketing through it. It's going to be at a 10 growth event by the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Event and Mastermind. So I'm looking forward to see you there. This is going to be in Houston, Texas. First come, first serve. We're going to have some special tickets going out the first you know, month or so. So I'm looking forward to see you there. And don't forget to hit share, like, and subscribe. And I'll see you on the next one.